Hi there, folks. My name is Joel Fry, and I want to thank you first off for logging on and visiting us here at oldmantreasures.net. Now, you know we have our podcasts and our blogs. Uh, We do want to add more content to the website, and this is going to be the first installment of that. This is episode one in a little thing we are calling the oldmantreasures.net conversation series. Uh, I am basically going to be sitting down with uh, various folks from the entertainment community or at least just from the public, uh, you know, in the public spotlight, uh, comedians, musicians, actors, um, probably people from the sports community, and maybe even from the religious and uh, political communities as well. And it's just something, it, it, it's going to be funny at times, uh, but more than anything, we want it to be interesting to you, something that you find, uh, you know, engaging and entertaining. Uh, it's something we want to give to you, uh, just some content that you're going to, uh, you know, not want to stop listening to. So our first episode here is going to be with Timmy Williams. Timmy is best known for his work with the popular sketch group The Whitest Kids You Know, where he was a a writer and member of that troupe. They had a show on IFC, an independent film channel, for a while. Uh, You can also find their stuff all over YouTube. They were just screamingly popular uh, in that way, and they went on live tours. I had the pleasure of even opening for them uh, when they stopped in Des Moines. Timmy is also a very talented stand-up comic. We do talk about that for a little bit, and we just have a fun, deep conversation at times. Uh, Very good stuff. I planned, honestly, on just speaking to him for about 20 minutes, and the next, (laughs) after the interview started, I looked up, and it had been 30 minutes he and I had been talking, so... Um, I, it, it's just, it was fun speaking with him. Uh, he's a very engaging guy and I look forward to having you guys listen, uh, in this, the first of what we anticipate will be many episodes in the oldmantreasures.net conversation series. So, um, without having to listen to me gab on for too much longer, here is my conversation with the whitest kids you knows, Timmy Williams. My guest today is a star from IFC's The Whitest Kids You Know. Timmy Williams is on the phone with me. How are you doing today, Timmy? Not bad. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent, man. Thanks for being a part of this today. Of course. Absolutely. So let's start with um, just kind of what everyone probably knows you the best from, and that's The Whitest Uh Kids You Know. So you've been with that group, I believe, from the beginning. Is that correct? No. Um, They started... As a college group in, geez, the fall of 2000, and when they were a college group, they uh, had open enrollment, so they actually had like 12 or 13 members, and they were around for a while, and then I moved to New York and happened to live in the same dorm building as some of the guys, and I met them on September 11th. Cool. Like 2001. Right, so, right. A day which... Um, yeah, so my room was full of smoke from the from 9-11 things. So I was hanging out in the hallway, and that's how I met them. So I joined the group about a year after they formed or so. And um, then a few years after I joined the group, then we, you know, we stopped being affiliated with the college and became our own thing. And that's when we kind of became the whitest kids that people know about. Awesome, man. So you guys started performing there on campus. Did you go to actual comedy clubs and start working there, or did you guys kind of... We did a little bit. We, We would go to New York Comedy Club, which was near the school where we, I actually didn't go to their college, but New York Comedy Club was near the college where, you know, the group was based out of, um, 
And yeah, we would go there. I think we did a couple other comedy clubs once in a while and open mics sometimes even. But um, we generally uh, did not do a lot of comedy clubs because it was too expensive for our friends to get in. You know, a lot of comedy clubs, you have to pay a big cover charge and then two drink minimum and all this stuff. So, you know, a lot of our friends in college were too poor to even come see us. <laughs> and the stages were never big enough to accommodate all of us. Yeah, so we didn't actually do a lot of shows in comedy clubs. So, for a group like your guys's, I mean, that's the primary place people go to see comedy. Did you guys have to rent out theaters, or just kind of find other spaces that it was going um, to work for you? Well, the first year or two, when we were still affiliated with the college, they had a theater that we could perform at, so that was cool. And then, um, yeah, we we would just kind of do shows wherever we could for a little while. But we were pretty lucky in. Early 2004, we um, one of our guys was rooming with a uh, was rooming with a guy who booked shows at a club in the Lower East Side of Manhattan called Piano. And at the time, Pianos had a free sketch show going on every Sunday night called Tinkle that was hosted by David Cross and some other like big people. And David Cross had to move because I think it was when he got Arrested Development, so he actually left and stopped doing that show at that place. And they wanted a comedy show there, so. Since one of our guys lived with the guy that booked it, we he was like, "Hey, well, you guys want to give it a shot?" We were like, "Sure," ended up and ended up just uh, really working, and that's kind of where we wrote most of our material and how we got good was performing at that show like once a week for you know years. So that's really cool, man. So since you weren't yeah. affiliated with the the group at the beginning, but you were interested in comedy, where'd that come from? Where you had you been performing prior to uh, being with them? <laughs> Not really. I've done a little bit of, um, like, plays and stuff here in Watertown, South Dakota, where I grew up. You know, there's not really much to the way of culture here at all. So <laughs> I, um, I I did Odyssey of the Mind, which I don't know, you're in the Midwest, so maybe you, have you ever heard of that? I haven't heard much of Odyssey of the Mind. Fill me in. Okay, so it was like an extracurricular thing that doesn't exist anymore. And basically, it was like a problem-solving thing, and it was a national competition. You would start this at the regional level, then go to state, and then if you're good enough, you go to national. And there was a couple different parts of it, but a lot of the things involved writing, like, little sketches, basically, or little plays. And so, like, one year, it would be build a balsa wood structure and see how much weight it can hold, and then you also have to present it within the within a skit. Another year was, like, build a robot, present that within a skit. So it was all... And you have a team, and you do that, and, you know, we were with the same team every year. And so me and, like, one of the other guys on our team were always the two dudes every year who were like, we'll kind of write the sketch and everybody else figure out the technical stuff that we don't understand. So, and that guy's actually a sketch comedy dude now, too, so. That's cool, man. Yeah, that kind of stuff does really make you have to sort of stretch your comfort level um, as well. We have a yeah. thing here called Seven Eleven Project where um, you have to incorporate, like, a catchphrase and a prop into um, a sketch, like a, a seven-minute or an eleven-minute sketch. You have seven days to write, so it, it sounds kind of oh. similar to that. And yeah, you're you're absolutely right, man. That's a way that um, you can really kind of hone, hone your creative uh, muscle. Yeah, I mean, it was like the only way to really do that kind of thing here. So that's what we did. And then yeah, then uh, a few years later, I decided to pursue screenwriting. So that's why I moved to New York to study film. 
and screenwriting, and then I kind of fell into the White Skids thing. So. It's it's difficult here in the Midwest. Um, it's it's tough because I love living here. It's great, but there aren't a lot of um, avenues for you to really pursue something if you want to be a creative person, unless you move to one of those major metropolitan areas. Um, right. So yeah, moving to New York, I can see how that would be a natural for you. Yeah, it was it was awesome. The only reason I left is I uh, was married at one point. Kind of, we talked ourselves out of living there and into living and moving, and that was still a mistake. But even now, I think I'm too old to live in New York. But I don't know. <laughs> well, since you're, I don't know if I can move fast enough anymore. <laughs> Yeah, you're kind of you're, you're sort of speed walking. I'm I'm sure the some of the they do competitive speed walking. I'm sure that they go to New York just to kind of <laughs> practice. Probably, and I mean, and just mentally, it's just that city is crazy. So. Yeah, no, definitely, man. I had a I had some people from friends who lived in New York, and they said you couldn't really walk down the street without spending twenty bucks. Yeah, that's kind of how. Meanwhile, and I'm sure in uh, there in South Dakota, you got to travel a little ways to spend twenty bucks. Yeah, I much want to spend it on gas. Yeah, <laughs> you you have to actually try. Yeah, everything here is much more affordable. It's ridiculous how much I like. I don't even tell my friends in New York how much I pay for my two bedroom attached garage central air apartment because they probably <laughs> kill themselves. How much I pay for it? So. That's <laughs> that's great. Uh, yeah. Timmy, Timmy Williams is on the phone with me right now. Um, so that's how you kind of got started. So you're a screenwriter by trade, or at least that's no, kind of how you I never started. Really, I never really became one. I never graduated school, so I'm kind of I don't know by trade. I don't really. I mean, actually, I have a lot of titles, but I was the only whitest kid that. Well, I don't think I don't know. Some of us got film degrees and some of us didn't. Because when we started, we all did a lot of. We, we shot a lot of our videos and stuff just ourselves, and, like, Trevor and Sam and Zach were all good at, like, editing and doing the kind of post-production thing. So, you know, and we were actually posting videos online, I think, like, right before YouTube even happened. Is that where, I, you, guys, is that where you guys got discovered? Was there just somebody contacted you, or, or how did that come no, about? No, we were doing got... that show at that club called Pianos for a while, like a couple of years. And then we started, you know, getting good because we were writing and performing new stuff every weekend so we're kind of developing really quickly and really well and so we um started getting noticed by other parts of the comedy community in new york so we started doing a lot of shows at the upright citizens brigade theater and getting to know a lot of those people and you know just kind of getting in the press every once in a while and yeah we were making videos and submitting them online and by that point youtube was a thing and so it started getting on youtube and then almost exactly 10 years ago we got invited to do, I think 10 years ago, almost to the day today, or this week, we got invited to do um, the Aspen Comedy Festival in Aspen, Colorado, and that was that was a huge deal at the time. Sure. And, um, and then we got named the best sketch show out of that, and at the same time, we had made a pilot for the Sundance Channel, but got turned down, and right around the time we went to this Aspen Festival, Fuse which is like a Canadian MTV, and was coming to the States to be called Fuse. They were about to launch their new channel, and they wanted to have a comedy show, so they approached us. They didn't even make us do a pilot. They essentially said, like, hey, you guys want to do 10 episodes? We're like, yeah. So, because <laughs> uh, they, you know, they had already seen us live, and they had met a couple of us, and they had already, you know, seen our videos online, so they already kind of got it. And they already kind of, like, figured out what they could do with us, so... 
they felt like they didn't need a pilot, I guess. So they just kind of worked with us, and that's how we started doing the TV show. And yeah, that all happened like just about ten years ago. How much creative, uh, how much creative control do you guys have with a show like that, where they don't even ask you to do a pilot? I mean, is it is it where they just kind of say, "Give us something, and we'll put it on the air," or did you guys get um, notes? How? I mean, that must have been a sweet deal for you guys. Yeah, I mean, that was cool, and you know, the first season it was definitely, um, you know, because with Fuse they had advertisers and stuff, so they still had to watch their material, you know, so there's bleeps and blurbs and had to put black boxes on boobs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of let us do just about anything we wanted to. And then we, and then for the second season onward, we switched over to IFC. They were owned by the same company as Fuse and had approached us and said, hey, we think you guys would be a better fit here than you would be at Fuse. And we agreed with them, so we switched. And, um, and then there go the black IFC, boxes. Well, at IFC, they... At the time, they didn't even have commercials. I think they do now, but um, at the time, they didn't. So they were like, you guys can literally do whatever you want. And we were, we just went as wild as we wanted to, and we got said no to very little. I mean, you know, there were still times when we really wanted to do something, they would say no. We'd be like, God damn it, we want to do it. But I would guess that other shows, you know, get said no to a lot more than we did. You know, like, I feel like we ended up, when I look back, I'm like, wow, we really got away with, a lot of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even when other comedians that we were coming up with might get more success or whatever, <laughs> more fame than us or whatever, um, when I look back, I'm like, wow, we actually had a show where we got to do our own thing on TV for five years, and, you know, a lot of people can't say that. Your guys' following was really, uh, and still is, I think, uh, pretty rabid compared to some of the people that you said, you know, you, you your contemporaries who came up through and got yeah. more famous guy people were crazy about that show i i never missed it i loved it man oh thanks i mean yeah and, and they still are out there and that's one cool thing about being all over youtube and stuff it's like it's still there you know it's still out there it's still some of these sketches are still getting passed around there's still memes of some stuff you know it's just still there and plus like a lot of us you know there's five of us and it I know I can name at least two of us, including me and one other guy that still interacts with the fans quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And the other guy I do to an extent, too. We're all nice to our fans. But, like, me and Trevor are especially, like, are all over Twitter and Facebook and whatever, interacting with fans all the time. And, you know, it's just cool because they're still out there. They still love the show. I still get asked, like, almost every day, when are you going to do new stuff, you know? So there's still people out there that are still rabid for it, even though we've been off the air for almost, you know, four and a half, five years now. Well, I, I saw some of that firsthand. I opened for you guys uh, almost three years ago now here in Des Moines over at Woolies. And oh, you did? Yeah, I was. I was one of the guys. You and Dan did, right? That's correct, yeah. That's right, yeah. That was a crazy show. It was a fun show, man, yeah. And the place was absolutely packed. They just loved the hell out of you. Um, well, do you remember that girl, like, passed out and had been taken out before the show even started? Yes, I remember that. It pushed the time back forever. Was... <laughs> and there was, like, a fight in the... We do meet and greets after a lot of shows, and there's, like, a, a fight, I guess, during that that we didn't even know about. And then, like, there's another girl that said her sister had OD'd on pills. So it was just, like, that audience was just nuts. <laughs> That's, you know, that kind of stuff happens uh, here in Des Moines. I booked uh, Kyle Kinane, uh before I opened for you guys once here, and he... 
um, he halted a domestic abuse right outside of the show, right after the show was over. A guy, a guy choked his girlfriend and threw her to the ground. Kanane, I was talking to him. He's like, hold on, I gotta go be Batman for a second. So he runs out and he chases this guy down and holds him until the cops come. It was the coolest thing ever. Wow. So, yeah, um. <laughs> people don't. Oh, <laughs> yeah, people don't associate us with uh, with that kind of badass behavior. But that's what happens here, I guess. Man. Well, it's a good thing it was Kanane and not someone that looks like me, because Kanane actually kind of looks tough, you know. Yeah, I can see him actually being taken seriously to like hold somebody, but I look like a baby, so it's like <laughs> they'd be like, "Yeah, sure, baby." Yeah, and he did. I mean, granted, the guy was really drunk and Kanane got him from behind, but <laughs> aside from that. No, I didn't even know about the, the girl ODing on pills. I heard about the fight, and of course I knew about the girl passing out, but yeah, that was uh, that was wild. I don't know. It was according. There were twin sisters, and one was like, my other sister wasn't. She's ODing on pills, so can I get a picture with you wow. before I go to the hospital? We are like... No, you need to go to the hospital. Your sister's in, you know? <laughs> That's siblings for you, man. That's <laughs> crazy. That, that actually you know, has... I just thought, because that was the... That leg of that tour, that was Midwest. And, you know, I just feel like people at our shows were just partying a little... Like, we're getting a little crazier. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I don't know if it's... I don't know if it's a booze thing, or I don't know if it was because they don't get shows as often as people that live on the coast do, you know? So... So maybe they're just a little more amped up. I don't know. But it was that like that show, and then the show the night before was in St. Louis, and the show a couple nights after was in Milwaukee, and it, they were all just, like, nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it was a good leg of the, that tour. <laughs> Have you guys toured since that one back in 2013? No, not really. We've done, we did, like, two shows last year, I think, and, like, you know, just a festival on a college and stuff like that. We want to do more, but, you know, everybody kind of, doing their own thing and we still want to be whitest kids and want to do all that stuff but yeah I guess it's just been a bit of a hiatus but we, we have been talking about trying to do something maybe this year you know get get together again and talk about what kinds of things we can still do that, that'd be amazing dude but even in the meantime yeah. even in the meantime you're uh, you're keeping busy you're doing stand up you've been here in Des Moines a couple of times doing some cool shows yeah. Um, how, how many shows a year are you doing there? Is that your full-time thing now, is stand-up? No, not even close. Oh, okay. I, um, I live in a small town in South Dakota, and I came here because of family stuff, you know. I got divorced and was raising my kids, so I need to still be involved, so I'm back here. So, living here, and you know, I, I, it's not like I'm exactly a name, you know, like, one as kids maybe was at one point, but I'm not. So it's like I can't just call people and be like, hey, it's me, and they'll put me on. So I still need to, like, get out there in order to, like, keep booking shows. And it's hard to continually get out there when you live literally in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, uh, I I just do as many shows as I can. I do, like, probably four or five times a year. I'll go do little, like, mini tours, like, a couple days at a time. Sure. And um, I've actually started doing more shows here in my town. You know, my kind of material doesn't always gel with what people want here. I think I maybe have too many sleeves for uh, the kind of comedy they want here. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think they're expecting more like, hey, blam, 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 kind of. <laughs> yeah, comedy yeah, without words. Be rednecks, Larry the Cable Guy, like, hey, man, I don't want you talking about your life. I want a billionaire 
pretending he's poor talking to me and telling jokes about hunting, you know, so <laughs> that's kind of more that, but, but I have had some really good shows here too, so, you know, not to throw my town under the bus or anything, but it just can be harder here, but yeah, I like to uh, play Des Moines quite a bit, I have a lot of fun there, I'll do Minneapolis every once in a while, although I felt like, I feel like that scene has been harder to crack than scenes like in Fargo or Omaha, do I? I love playing Fargo, I love playing Omaha, um, Sioux Falls, actually, I've had some killer shows at Sioux Falls, and I'm playing there again next month, so, yeah, you know, I, I just do as much as I can, which isn't always a lot, but I'm at least performing a couple times a month at this point, so that's good. That's awesome, man. Now, I, uh, I'm i married, yeah. I've got three kids, and I know that I, I kind of came to a, a point not long after the show I did with you guys where... My family was getting a little bit bigger, and having to devote more time to them meant devoting less uh-huh. time to comedy. So I, I really admire the decision you made to, you know, move back and be there for your kid. Not everybody does that, and that's that's yeah. that's really impressive. Well, I have a really good example, and I, I don't know if he'd be cool with me naming him, so I won't. But there's a guy who is now pretty, I guess you could say, famous. He's big, sure. And he and I got divorced at the same time, and neither one of us. He was big yet at that time about three and a half, four years ago. So we were both living in L.A. Or he, was, he had just moved there, and I had been there for a couple months. And we both got decided to get divorced like within the same month or so. And he stayed in L.A. to keep working and has been on a TV show now for a long time and I think was even on two TV shows for a little bit at one point. But I think he eventually got custody of his kid. I'm, I'm not sure, but... He now has a kid more involved in his life. But at the time, he had gotten divorced, didn't see his kid all the time, and got on television. I did the opposite, where I kind of left my career in the dust a little bit and came home to raise my kid. So we kind of did the opposite thing. And so I ran into him not long after I made that decision and said, hey, man, you know what? You're on these two TV shows and da 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 And I said, you're kind of doing what I want to do. And he said, well, you're doing what I want to do. So... You know, there's not really a clear, there's not a perfect answer to that kind of situation because you want to keep doing your career, but you also want to spend time with your kid. And when you're getting divorced and a single parent, it is super hard to do both at the same time. You're right, man. And you know, the grass is always uh, greener. I was talking to a buddy of mine who, he's a full-time comic, he's a professional, but he doesn't have much of a a life outside of that. And I'm like, I think you're kind of missing something, you know, not not pursuing these other things. But, I mean, he might think the same about me, so you're you're right. Yeah, yeah. But now that it's been a few years that I've been doing this, like, double life sort of thing, um, I'm starting to figure out, well, first of all, I'm trying to figure out how can I get back into comedy even more, but that's a longer project, but I have started, like, writing for one website and maybe a couple other ones, you know, and, um, and they're funny pieces, so that has certainly helped, you know, like, it keeps my comedy muscle working out, and it also keeps my name out there a little bit, and it's also fun to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's been good. So it's about like when you're in a situation where you can't do stand up every night, it's like, well, how else can I continue to be a jackass, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and the internet makes that easy. I mean, Twitter and Facebook are fun to, you know, get people stirred up with a rant or to just interact <laughs> with fans or whatever. Definitely, man. Well, it's cool of you to keep interacting with fans. Um, last thing about stand up, I'm, I'm keeping you kind of long here. I apologize. That's okay. Thanks, man. It's a bit. It's a, it's good talking to you. You're a cool dude. Um, how did you get into stand up in the first place, and and how do you like it? I love it. 
Um, There's nothing like it. You know, people would often ask me, what do you prefer, stand-up or skits? And I think they're just two completely different beasts. Um, When you do a sketch, like I talk about performing live now, when you do a sketch, you're on there with other people and they're almost like your safety net. Mm -hmm. And so if something goes wrong, if if I'm on stage and forget a line, Trevor, Sam, or Zach, or Darren, you know, can maybe, well, hopefully be paying attention and swoop in and, like, you know, ad-lib something and save the day. Right. You know, so when you're a sketch, it's more of a team thing, you know. But then when you're doing stand-up, it is all you, but at the same time, that's part of the thrill is that it is all you, and that you're on there by yourself, and that everything you're doing comes from your own head, unless you're Carlos Mencia. And, <laughs> um, everything comes from your own head, and so, like, when it works, it's amazing. You know, it's kind of a narcissistic enterprise at all because you're basically saying, what's going on in my head is worthy of you guys to all sit down and be quiet and listen to for 45 minutes, you mm-hmm. know? It's like you're deciding that your thoughts are more important for a little while. And uh, But, you know, when it works and you connect to the audience, it's really, really fun. And I've even, even though I don't perform as much as I used to, even now, I still, like, have shows, and I feel like I've had a lot of shows lately where it really feels like, damn, like, you're really just kind of connecting with people and, you know, making it work, and it's great, and, um, so yeah, I love stand-up. Um, how I got into it is, you know, we were doing Whitest Kids Live shows, and I had day jobs and stuff, and then when we got the TV show, we shot the first season, and then I have, like, a whole lot of time to and I didn't know what to do with it, uh-huh. you know, because we were still working on the show, but I didn't. I was never involved in the post-production stuff, because I dropped out of film school, so I didn't know how to edit. <laughs> so, you know, so I started kind of jotting down ideas, and I started going out to open mics, but, you know, at that point, we were really a big part of the New York comedy community, so we knew a lot of people, so I knew a lot of stand-ups. So I was going out and, you know, just going, getting on French shows and doing stuff, and me and another guy, Jonathan O'Donnell, we um, both lived in this, like, uh, part of New York, like Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and kind of Long Island City, Queens. We lived around there. And we wanted to start an open mic, and we found this place called The Creek and the King that wasn't doing any comedy. And we're like, hey, let's do, can we do an open mic here? Because they had a beautiful theater. And they're like, sure. And that mic went really well for a couple of years, and... They started booking other shows, and now they're, like, one of the biggest places to do comedy in the city, you know? And so that kind of became our headquarters, and I would perform there all the time. So once we did that open mic, and I was having to write new jokes, like, every week or every other week, it was, you know, then I really felt like I was actually, could say I was also a stand-up, you know? Right. Yeah, there's a certain That point. was, like, already nine years ago. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> It's weird. Yeah, you're you're just touching back on a point you brought up, how the laughs are all the same, but it's so different getting them as a sketch versus improv versus stand-up. Um, and, yeah. And sometimes it, it, it's cool that you kind of crossed over and were able to succeed in both. Not everybody can do that. I mean, I'm sure some of the guys, and maybe you, you might disagree with this, but might be a couple of guys in the Whitest Kids group who uh, would never dream of doing stand-up or don't think that that'd be something yeah. they can cut. No, there are. And, um, I mean, Sam Brown from the group also does stand-up. Trevor performs by himself, but he does mostly, like, comedy music kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he has done stand-up and can do it. He just kind of doesn't have time. And then some of the other guys, I've told them, like, 
down. I went through a long period where I just thought everyone should try stand-up at some point. Mm-hmm. So I think it can be, like, healthy to try it. But, you know, like, they would be like, no, dude, I just don't want to do it. And I'm like, yeah, I guess some people just don't want to do it. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, but Sam and I both kind of started doing it sort of around the same time, I think. And, um, yeah, it's always fun when he and I are in the same area and can actually perform together. Sometimes when we go on tour and do a Whitest Kids show, Sam and I will look for open mics to go to afterwards, and that's always fun to try and, like, go crash an open mic after a big Whitest Kids show. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I uh, I had a friend one time who didn't do comedy at all, and she asked me, because I'm a stand-up and I'm pretty much just that, and she said, why don't you ever do sketch? And I said, well, because... Think of comedy as like an arm, and you've got different muscles in your arm. Like you've got a bicep and a tricep, yeah. and they're two different muscles, but they're both in the arm. Sketch and stand-up are both comedy, but they're totally different things. Um, uh-huh. Writing for them is a totally different function, and some people's head, brains just don't work that way. I can't ask a tricep yeah. to be a bicep. So. Uh-huh. Definitely, man. All right, well, cool. Um, do you have anything that you want to plug before we kind of wind down here? Oh yeah, I uh, have a podcast that I that well we have, we've been off for a couple months, but I think we're getting back on a horse this week. It's called "What the Hell Is Timmy Doing in South Dakota," and um, I think it's "What the Hell Is Timmy But anyways, it's a five minute weekly podcast where I just talk about what I'm doing here, and it's really silly. That's really and cool. And then um, I also write for Tech Times. That's T E C H Tech Times dot com. I publish uh, a couple things there a month or something like that. And um, that stuff I'm getting really into and really proud of some of the columns I'm writing over there. So definitely worth checking out. And then timmywilliams.com if you have, you know, sometimes I remember to put my show dates there. So Cool. So timmywilliams.com, techtime.com, and yeah. you can find your article. And then uh, what the hell is Timmy doing in South Dakota? Uh, you can find that yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah. If you just Google that, I'm sure you can find it. I doubt there's anything else called What the Hell is Timmy Doing in South Dakota. You'd so. be, well, the Internet's a big place, Timmy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess I shouldn't say that until I do my research first. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, suddenly you find out former Boston pitcher Tim Wakefield lives in South Dakota, too, and he also has a podcast. <laughs> oh, we should hang out. Tim Wakefield, if you're listening to this, let's hang out, bro. <laughs> I uh, know a lot of Red Sox fans, so... <laughs> Even in South Dakota. I don't want to talk about being a sports fan right now because I'm a Vikings fan. So today oh. sucks. Oh, man. Yeah, you're coming off that of a... That game? That game. Oh, jeez, man. You're coming off a brutal low. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sleep at my parents' house tonight just to make sure my dad doesn't kill himself. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You know, Vikings, uh, purple depression, and just walk off a bridge. You guys are... I mean, well, okay... You think you're used to it, and then you find a new way to lose, like what happened today. Not that you guys are completely – I mean, you guys have had your fair share of missed field goals in the playoffs. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, but the, the weird thing about this game is that the Vikings are super confident, mm-hmm. and then the Seattle Seahawks fuck up so badly and somehow turn that into a game-changing play. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like they turn a mistake into a win, and it's just like, I hate it. This is a it's a it's a classic way. Now, uh, full disclosure, I'm a Packer fan, so it's not like I have shot and Freud watching you guys fail, but at the same time <laughs> I've got, I get it. I've gotten a well, really I mean, good as, as, as a Packers fan, you know, you, at this point you just have to understand that your judgment is completely skewed. You know, <laughs> um, that's, totally that's awesome, man. Yeah. That a lot of people don't 
Now, a lot of people in different parts of the country don't understand Vikings versus Packers, I think. And the Bears are in the mix, too, but it's really, there's an animosity up here in the frozen plains between Vikings and Packers, you know? So here's here's what I've felt, and this is, and again, I'm Iowa, so I mean, we're kind of like, right. just by proxy. You, You're neutral. Ex- on the same block, you can have six different teams that you're, you know, that you find fans for. Um, Exactly. Yeah, you can find Rams fans if you try hard enough. You got Chiefs fans, you know, all <laughs> over the place. Um, my yeah, wife, yeah. my wife loves the Broncos. But anyway, I like the Packers. Look at the Bears rivalry more seriously, and I know the Vikings. The, the Vikings Packers rivalry is something you guys are. We 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 cannot stand you. Um, but right. <laughs> I feel like from from the other from the other way is is where it's a little bit more intense. But I. Man, yeah. I, it just reminded me so much of of the Gary Anderson kick from '99. I think it was. Um, yep. yep. When you know the the most sure footed kicker in history for the whole season, and then yep. you've got this week, which wasn't you know. I mean, he isn't as good as Gary Anderson, obviously, but right. that was a that was a seventeen yeah. foot field goal. Yeah, it was nothing. And um, same game, we broke their kicker's face. Like, <laughs> so. Today, like the Seahawks kicker, we rushed him. We tried to move, and then we just like destroyed his life. But <laughs> our kicker can't do it anyway. So. <laughs> well, I lost. Um, I lost a little money at, at my day job because we were, tr- <laughs> we're we were trying to figure out like the worst quarterback matchup that the NFL would just basically go bankrupt if that was it. And I, I had picked uh-huh. the Teddy Bridgewater Kirk Cousins matchup in the NFC Championship. And I was praying so hard that that was going to happen, so it got ruined. <laughs> uh, well, that cheers me up because anytime a Packers fan loses money, it's a good thing. So. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't happen that often, but it might happen. <laughs> um, oh boy! Well, I'll I'll let you go. Thanks so much, Timmy, for being on the show today. I appreciate it, man. No problem, man. I had a lot of fun. Thank Thanks for talking to me. No problem. Don't lose my number. I'll talk to you later, dude. You got it. Bye. <laughs> Bye. All right, so that was my conversation with Timmy Williams of The Whitest Kids You Know. Super nice guy. We really appreciate him being interview number one for the oldmantreasures.net conversation series. We'll have quite a few more people uh, down the pike that we will be talking to. I've already put out feelers for a lot of folks. Uh, We we had an interview request with uh, Sharon Tate, um, a cheese grater that I saw that looked like it was very good at what it did. Uh, Hall of Fame pitcher Cy Young. I've put a request out for them, um, as well as Pol Pot. So if any of them gets back to us, then we'll have them up next on the show. Uh, But until next time, please keep checking out the rest of the content on the website. We, of course, have the podcast, so what have we learned this week? Uh, You can find it on the main page, as well as blogs. Mark is the primary blogger, but uh, the rest of us will contribute from time to time. I have one up there. Uh, Five people you didn't know were Catholic, so check all that out, as well as Mark's fantastic blogs. Uh, We will talk to you guys later, and thank you so much. From oldmantreasures.net, this is Joel Fry saying goodnight.